Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia and friends that are further afield. Welcome to My Millennial Property. I am Emily Wallace and I'm joined by John Pigeon. How are you going, John? Thanks, Emily. How are you? We're wondering if we... Oh, answer that first. Are you good? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell uh, me. <laughs> wondering how many we do have further afield. Yeah, well, um, I'm sure there's programs where you can actually view where people are listening from. Yep. Obviously, our content's very Oz heavy, yeah. um, but you never know. People, never know. let us know, actually. Maybe write in. If you're a listener yes. who regularly listens and you're not in Australia, yep. send us a message to the podcast. We'd love to hear yep. from you. How about we guarantee that if they ask a question, we'll answer it on the show, but they yep. need to tell us where they're from. I think that's great. That's awesome. Yep. So let's, let's if you're listening and nodding going, that's me, yep. pause pause this episode, do it now, and then come back. Correct. Let's do it. Now, today, we are actually, well, looking up in the Facebook group, hashtag property. So, there's a hint for you. If you'd like us to answer a question, as well as, you know, notifying us directly, if you put the hashtag property in your post, we're going to search those and um, have a little look-see at what people are asking us. So, today is very much a and a based off some of the Facebook questions that have been submitted. And we're hoping to add a bit of value to you um, for those people who have asked the questions, but also, of course, we talk high level um, through these scenarios so that you can take something away from them as well. Yes. Yeah, we can't make them up, these things. Nope. So let's kick things off. The first one, I'll read it in full because I think it's quite important. Mm -hmm. So this one is basically in regards to um, someone who's inherited some money. And, and this is something that happens to people as time goes on and life goes on, people do inherit money. So it's an anonymous post and it says, through saving and inheritance, I'm really fortunate to have built up a solid sum of money. My financial advisor suggested I put 600K towards the deposit, leaving 400K to the sh a share investment and emergency fund. I've got pre-approval for 1.1. Um, I've found a house that I really love and there's going to be strong competition. Initially, my budget was 1.1, but I'm tempted to take it up 100K and take it out of that share pool um, to bring it up to 1.2. Am I crazy? The home is really beautifully renovated. Um, not much that I have to do once I move in. What do you think I should do? Great question. Great question. And first and foremost, um, if you know the figures are kind of irrelevant in terms of that's that's awesome that that's the amount of money this person has to spend, um, but not everybody has that amount of money for their first property, um, and so regardless of figures, what we're about to talk through should be relevant to you. Mm. And I think the crux of this conversation is pushing beyond your limit. How much is too much, um, and how do you kind of work out where to stop? Because mm. that's a it's a hard thing, isn't it? It is. It is. First of all, high level financial advisors shouldn't be giving you advice around property. Number mm. one, should be you should go to Emily for that. 
Um, or you, <laughs> either of us. <laughs> now, I think it, it does come down to what type of strategy and and, uh, and and what you want out of that purchase. So, okay, awesome amount of money to, to have aside um, and we've got to – um, compartmentalize it uh, to some point, but we've got to be really strategic about what as- asset we buy into, right? And I was speaking to someone in your hometown, Emily, this week actually, and mm. they had a property in um, Geelong, uh, actually yep. two properties in Geelong. This was going back uh, over 10 years ago. And they decided to sell those uh, because they weren't performing for them uh, and they didn't do much research into buying them in the first place. And they went and bought uh, one larger purchase in Melbourne. Okay. And they've still got that property today. And they, they're they doing what they shouldn't do is going back and comparing what the other properties mm-hmm. have done in the meantime. Um, <laughs> but he has had a much better result as a result of doing that, right? Just, um, just buying a bigger asset, bigger block of land, um, better house or bigger house, better location. So... I think understanding, number one, what the banks can lend you, number two, uh, what is your strategy, where do you want to buy, what do you want to get out of that property, Uh, you're living in it, so you want to understand what suburb that you want to grow up in or want to spend your next 10, 15 years in, and then we can play around with what numbers we're going to use. Definitely. I think the biggest thing, so in this example, it's a property that's going to auction, which you're never going to actually know what the property's going to sell for. Like even one of my clients in the past week said, oh, what do you think the vendor wants for it? And I said, it's not a matter of what the vendor wants. It's about what everyone else is prepared to pay because that's, you know, the market we're in. So I think one thing that a lot of buyers can slip up with is setting a limit and be, and sticking to it. Mm. Um, and being really firm that you have, you know, in a good state of mind. So prior to the auction um, or prior to placing an offer, you've run the numbers and you've put a figure on where it makes sense and where it's comfortable and it's committing to stick with that decision, which is is much, much easier said than done, particularly when people miss out time and time again um, yeah. and they're feeling defeated. You just want to win, right? Everyone wants to win. Yeah. No one wants to lose. No, that's right. No one at all. So if we reverse engineer this, Emily, and we say, right, we do go to 1.2. We're comfortable with that. We know the banks will lend us a good chunk of money. Uh, first thing I would do is say, right, I've got, I'm allowing 400 aside from my property deposit, but how much do I actually need as an emergency? Right mm. now, now that might be 50 grand. Um, that's a pretty strong emergency buffer, isn't it? To have 50 that's grand. That's very strong. Yep. Yep. And and then say, well. The minimum I need to put down on this property uh, without paying lender's mortgage insurance is 20%. Mm-hmm. So that's 240K on a $1.2 million purchase. Um, so we're up to 290K now out of the million dollars that we've got available. Mm. So there's a spare loose change hanging around to the tune of 710000 mm-hmm. So... If we put that in the offset against that $1.2 million purchase, right, we've give or take got no mortgage. It's pretty cool. That's not bad, is it? Now, can we be strategic and say, well, if we pay down some of that, because it's bad debt uh, if we're living in it, can we pay down some of that and then draw it back out 
to use uh, for other investments and then keep some of the cash to go and buy um, some, of the, uh, some of the shares that you want based on your risk profile in the property versus share space. Um, so that's not a bad idea to just reverse engineer it and, and, um, and just put down your minimum and then you've got control of the rest of the money yourself versus putting down a huge chunk on a, on a mortgage, which is not the worst outcome by any means, but we just then have to ask for it back from the banks when we want to use it one day. Most definitely. I think the other thing that comes into play here is what's most important to you at that point in time, right? Like if you're a single person with no dependents um, on a good salary, you know, in a stable job, then maybe you are willing to take a greater risk in where you, you know, the balance of where you place your money. Um, but it, as we've discussed in previous episodes, risk profiling comes into a lot when you're making money decisions and, and even property purchase decisions. Um, so being aware of that is probably key and um, essential in making a good choice. Yeah. Uh, understanding what the running costs of that property would be on a, on a monthly basis. If you've got a 600K mortgage, if you've got a 400K mortgage, if you've got an 800K mortgage, what are you comfortable with? Yeah. Mm. Now, change of pace. I just read something that made me laugh on the on the Facebook group. This is going to make it. I'm not sure if you saw it. <laughs> Hi, guys. What are your thoughts on going to the bathroom at open homes? Oh, I did are see they that. acceptable? <laughs> uh. Hashtag property. I love this. So, um, can I just say? And you probably find this too, John, when you go on like a tour of properties and you're out all day back to back. It is so hard to account for going to the bathroom, particularly in, when you're in an area that you don't know and, you know, you don't know if the cafe will let you go to the bathroom or where the public toilets are. But personally to date, I have never gone to the bathroom. Actually, that's a lie. Oh my gosh, I did. I snuck in once. I did when I had the house to myself because I was busting to go. Wow. But I don't know. Have you, have you ever? No, definitely okay. not. <laughs> I actually had the client cover for me. She said she knew we'd been to eight properties that day and she said, I'll just talk to the agent at the front. You just quickly go upstairs. <laughs> I should, probably shouldn't be saying this. Um, yeah. But general rule of thumb, guys, don't go to the bathroom when you're at an open home. It's not sort of the, the standard etiquette that you would use. Well, you, um, you could be, I suppose, testing the plumbing. Couldn't you? <laughs> You've got to check if things work in the house. So if you wanted a reason, but yeah, you, you, it is hard to, to um, factor all these things in. But generally, if you're only going to four or five, just try and get all that stuff out of the way. Pack yourself a, out. a snack and um, yeah, <laughs> toughen it out at a public toilet. I hope that's giving you guys a bit of a laugh. Um, we'll be back with some more serious stuff in just a moment. We've got plenty more questions to cover off on, so... We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we are going to be more serious than any more um, toilet jokes. So moving forward, uh, question that is on the Facebook page, anonymous post, um, and they have asked, just wanted some opinions on moving interstate. It's been on my mind lately to, to move to another state, to start something new, but I still have goals to buy a property. I know life isn't all about money. Should I stay where I am and find a job here or find another job in a different state and start something new? So I think really it is a question of life changing, but it is a very relevant one to property because I think it's really interesting when I hear of people moving states or even people that we look after that move to a new state and buy a property straight away or even before they have moved. Now, this will always be a personal opinion that people, um, you know, what they're willing to do when they move states. But I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to rent for a period of time if you're moving to a new state to suss it out, surely. Did that person say that there's more to life than money? Yes, right. they did. Wow, find that interesting. <laughs> no, I'm joking. There's absolutely much more to life than money. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just continuing on the humour from before the break, oh, okay. right? Um, We're serious now, John. Yeah. Come on. So if you're renting before you're buying into a new area, I think that's very sensible. It's a very sensible way to check out what's happening in the area, get, getting the vibe, can I see this long term? But I, but I think the question was more should I move, wasn't it? Yeah, it was more. It was asking around if I should buy, yeah. like when I move. Ah, um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. And can I just say, for an, an analogy, like, would you meet someone and marry them straight away, or would you maybe date them for a little bit before? Oh, I dated you Amy them. for a little bit. It wasn't long though, <laughs> but well, but for a little bit though. Yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't first yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. So commitment not hard and fast on the first time you see someone. Correct. Same thing applies. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Look, um, I, I think. And I did this, um, well, did it about four times, to be honest, was um, moved to a different region for business opportunity or work opportunity, right? And I, yep. I, while I was single, no commitments, no kids, it's like, why not? What's the disadvantage? Mm. I get to see a different part of the country, uh, meet new people, um, and, and that was that I was excited by that otherwise I'd just remain stale in in the area I was in well that's what I thought mm. anyway so I think it depends on your personality as to whether you're someone like that or not uh, whether you just like that consistency of life and knowing where you live and who your friends are and where they where they all live but um, I, you would definitely have to want to rent first I believe um, mm. like you said just to get a feel for 
the area. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, don't let – if you've got a chunk of money sitting around that you, you want to invest with or, or buy, don't, don't wait three or four years before you make that decision either. Yeah, don't sit on it too long. Okay, moving on, next question. Oh, this is an interesting one. Okay, I'm about to start the process of being bought out of a property by my ex. I've had some legal advice, but also wanted some personal opinions slash experiences. When buying, neither of us used the first homeowner's grant because the house was ineligible, but we did receive a stamp duty reduction. I'm conflicted on whether I should include the loss of my first homeowner's grant and the amount of stamp duty that was discounted in the settlement? And if so, do I use the maximum figures or the most relevant? For example, the $10,000 Metro or the $20,000 Regional uh, when we bought into Metro Melbourne. So basically they're trying to account for the maximum loss by the sounds of it. And so I think probably keeping this high level because this is a very particular situation, um, the process of being bought out of a property from an ex and a joint ownership. Let's just touch on that for a second. When you own a property together and you're both your names on title and you're going through the process of being bought out, that can be a little bit messy, can't it? Yes, it can. Yeah, there's a lot of emotions at play, isn't there? So, yeah, we, we're not always, well, I haven't been through it personally, but uh, not always thinking straight and logically and there are other parties usually come into play, i.e. Uh, lawyers. Mm. And, and that can also determine which path we go down and how aggressive we get in terms of um, agreeing on an amount as a, as a payout, inclusions, exclusions. Particularly if someone wants to stay obviously in the property and keep that property and be, um, or vice versa and be bought out. One thing that I wanted to touch on as well in, on that that just sprung to mind is when you are in a partnership and you might own your home together, but before you became a partnership, you might have owned some investments that are yours and in your name. Just be very aware that um, you need to protect those assets legally. And so having a binding financial agreement, although this is not legal advice, it's a suggestion, having a binding financial agreement that stipulates in the worst case scenario, you, you were to separate, what happens with those properties that are in your name? Because as we know, after a certain point in time, um, once you're deemed de facto or if you're married, then uh, all assets get thrown into that pool unless otherwise prior agreed. So I think it's a very timely thing for people to consider um, yes. to actually have that written out. And you might go, oh no, but we're never going to break up. We don't need that. Well, you don't need it until you do. That's right. So like insurance is a necessary evil. Now, just while you're on that, Emily, mm. uh, joint tenants and ten tenants in common is also a very common point um, to add yes. there. Uh, most property purchases, if done with two people, it will default to joint tenants um, according to the titles office, which means upon death, um, the other person gets your share. Right mm -hmm. now, without giving legal advice, if you choose tenants in common, uh, you your portion is yours to do what you want with it. Um, pass it on to someone else in your family, relative, friend, etc. So, yeah, yeah just um, taking that into account as well. 
Um, yeah, definitely be across the terminology and what it means for you. Um, but I think, look, I don't know that we've exactly answered the question as to what we. What was the question done. again? <laughs> <laughs> we've taken it as a high level. We've gone off on yeah. a tangent, but I think the crux of it is to actually have the, everything set up properly, so that when you, mm. if you do, unfortunately, find yourself in a situation where you separate with somebody that you've bought a property with, yep. you actually both are very clear as to what's to happen with that um, yeah. in all case scenarios. And I think to say that you missed out on the first homeowner's grant because of the other person to come back and try and um, get remunerated for that would be, mm. I don't know, wouldn't sit well with me, wouldn't, it's probably a bit tough to ask, but yeah, everyone's different, aren't they? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we have a question here that I often get asked about, but I haven't been privy to myself and I'm hoping, John, maybe you have some experience with it. The question is to solar or not to solar? Total outlay is about $20,000 for a 13 kilowatt system. I assume that's what KW stands yes. for. 36 panels in total. Um, and it also includes a switchboard upgrade of about 2500 and a heat pump hot water service around $1,000. Mm. So it's a really common one that people do consider solar, obviously, when they buy a property um, or like to install it. Um, or to understand when they do buy property and it's already got it installed, how that can help save costs. Now, I don't own a property that has any solar panels on it at all. Um, bit limiting when you're in an apartment block. <laughs> but <laughs> um, have you had any experience with this, John? Well, I haven't personally, but we're about to put solar on on our purchase or our, our build, sorry. Um, and yeah. I, I've had clients that I've dealt with that, that we've spoken about, should we include or should we not? Um, and I think there's a number of factors that we need to consider here. Number one is um, obviously the cost. Like 10, 15 years ago, there was solar incentives to put it on for free and, and get rebates mm. and all these sort of attractive items that meant, well, this is actually a no-brainer. Let's get it done and and uh, get rebated and pay no electricity for the for the rest of my life. That's awesome. Now we're saying, right, it's going to cost me twenty grand. Uh, if you do the numbers on that, how long is it going to take to recoup the money? So thinking about how long you're actually going to be in that particular house is it mm. is are we staying here for the next twenty years? If so, then it might be a worthwhile investment. If it's only going to be a couple of years and then we're moving into state, then I'd probably think twice. The other aspect to consider is uh, what it's doing for the environment. Is it a good thing yes. or a bad thing? And generally speaking, we'd say, okay, yep, it's a good thing. Um, so if we're if we're keen on doing that, then then that's a good outcome as well. So a lot of people do make that decision without thinking about the cost because they're just interested in protecting the environment. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. And I think, you know, more and more, particularly fellow millennials, we are becoming aware of our impact on this earth um, and how we can be more sustainable and, and smart about the way we use um, energy. Yeah. So I think uh, it's more and more common that people are considering solar. Maybe we could get someone on as a solar expert or something at some point to talk through like what incentives do remain, if any, um, and, and the costs and breakdowns and numbers. If that's something that people are interested in, I just, as I was scrolling through the Facebook group, there's actually about five or six posts on solar. Yeah. Um, so I think it actually, you know, what it does come about a lot in those house and land packages in the new builds, in those estates that um, they're sort of a stock standard thing now, solar. So yeah. um, if there's interest, let us know and we'll actually try and get a, a – I actually do know someone who is in solar, but we could get on the show. Yeah. So the next time one of them – 
knocks on your door to try and sell you it, just um, <laughs> say, no, I'm not going to buy it, but can you jump on our podcast? Can you jump on our show, though? <laughs> Got a spot for you. Now, moving right along, a question I had come through my Instagram. Now, I don't know who the person's name is because they've got a weird handle, but anyway, we'll roll with it. The question was around the first home buyer stamp duty reductions, exemptions, concessions. Now, in Victoria, they uh, you don't pay stamps on anything under 600000 when you're a first home buyer. Um, I think the threshold in Sydney is a bit, it's a bit higher. A bit higher, seven, seven or something, yeah, 650. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, the question was around... I've set my limit at that, but should I go a little bit over and risk um, paying a bit of stamp duty to get the property that I want? Now, this is such a common one. I cannot tell you how many people call me up saying my budget is 600000 and I ask, is that because you're being pre-approved for 600000 or you don't want to pay stamp duty? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, we could go up to seven hundred, but we don't want to pay stamps, so it's yeah. six hundred. Yeah. 600 in Melbourne, right? Yeah, 600 Melbourne, which doesn't buy very much these days. Um, they're looking at a two-bedroom um, unit, they said. so. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, if they they go up to 700,000, they don't get the stamp duty uh, exemption. They'll end up paying 26,500. So yeah, it's a sliding scale reduction. Yeah. yeah. So, basically what we're saying is if we, if we go up another 100K, it's going to cost us 100 26000 extra mm. to get into that 700k purchase. However, what's that asset compared to the 600 that I can get now? Now, this isn't financial advice, but if if I can get a one bedroom unit for 600 or a two bedroom unit for 700, I'm going a 700 every day of the week as long as I can re- uh, afford the repayments and um, and and it fits the bill for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. an example. Definitely. I think it honestly comes down to the quality of the property you're going to get. If you do have the ability to extend, um, often that will pay off. But even as micro was going up by, I know we had one this week that the client went up by 5000 to secure the property and it cost them an extra, it was $1,045 in stamps. Now, to me, that's worth it. That property was well and truly worth it. Um, probably worth more than what we paid for it anyway. So it was great. But I think the biggest thing for first-term buyers, I would encourage you not to have a mental barrier around just chasing these concessions. They are in place to help you get into the market. But if it is the make or break between a good property versus a great property, I think that if you can afford to wear the cost um, that it will pay off in the long term because you wouldn't want to settle for something just because you get an exemption, surely. Like, oh, I got this, you know, this place isn't exactly what I wanted, but I didn't pay stamps on it, so it's a good purchase. That's not really how we talk. No. So, definitely right. um, within reason, I think stretching yourself can actually have a good outcome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, something to ponder. So, as an example of that, if, if, uh, if you buy that 700K um, property that I spoke about and yeah. – it goes up 3.5% in the first year, you've got your stamp duty money back. Mm. Yep. If that 600K property does nothing for the next five years but you don't pay stamp duty, you've actually lost money. So yes. you can look at it that way as well. Um, what's the outcome? What do you want out of this property? Very valid point. Now, that really concludes our questions for today. Um, we love doing Q&A episodes. We sort of try and... Um, duck and weed them in between our other meaty episodes so please always feel free and as I noted earlier in the episode 
when you put your question in the My Millennial Money Facebook group, um, if you're not a member, definitely join. Um, just put hashtag property. That's how we're going to continue searching for your questions. They're easy. They come up in a nice, neat little list um, and we will answer them on the podcast for you. Yes, we will. Been a pleasure. As always, have a great week ahead, everybody, and we will certainly speak to you soon. Yep. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.